What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush Friday interview edition here with another office colleague, a brand new to the uh, hopefully will be the rotating cast unless you really screw up. <laughs> uh, we have Trevor Young here. Hey, Trevor. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Of course, Trevor, you are a uh, podcast producer, uh, engineer, editor, uh, soundscaper. What what shows are you working on right now? So right now uh, we're working on a lot of really cool what we're calling binaural uh, recording and um, you know these like kind of like 3D shows. Oh, you doing that? Cool. Yeah, yeah. We um, did one back in the fall called 13 Days of Halloween," and um, yeah, it's it's supposed to be this kind of like full 360 experience, and we're doing mm-hmm. a lot more of that now. Um, and so can't really say much about what's coming, but uh, we have some right. really c- cool stuff, and I promise it's gonna blow some people away awesome yeah you know they uh they asked stuff you should know if we wanted to try one of those oh, nice. just as a like a test yeah or not as a test but just sort of a, to like show off the technology and we're trying to figure out if there's a way to do it um we'll see what happens it will try if you're a stuff you should know listener and we do that it will not be the new stuff you should know <laughs> <laughs> it will just be like hey here's what this thing is if you want to go listen to other stuff yeah highly recommend it, it just kind of adds a whole new layer to you know the audio world so yeah that's very cool so 
Trevor, you got in touch with me to, uh, because you love Richard Linklater and said, would you ever want to talk about Richard Linklater's movies? And I was like, yes, absolutely. Um, and I think before we jump into Dazed and Confused, we should just talk a little bit about this guy. Um, one of my favorite all-time filmmakers. How did he come into your life? Yeah, so it's interesting. I actually have like a a, a weirdly personal connection to Linklater and, um, you know, his work and everything. Um, so I grew up in Austin, Texas, which is uh, okay. <laughs> where, uh, you know, he's from, he's based and, you know, has lived most of his life and bases a lot of his, you know, movies in and around, uh, including Days and Confused. Yeah. Um, so I grew up there and it was just kind of this thing growing up there that, you know, there's this famous movie director who lives here and makes movies about Austin. And that was kind of always in the back of my head and I mm -hmm. it didn't really fully hit me until, you know, I think I got to college and I like was studying film more, but yeah. not only that, um, his daughter, Lorelai, um, was uh -huh. at my high school in my graduating class and somebody oh, cool. I like had classes with and I like never really put two and two together that like, <laughs> oh, no. my classmate was like Richard Linklater's daughter. Um, That's cool. Yeah, until, she was in yeah. Boyhood, right? Yeah, she was in Boyhood. And so I graduated in 2011 and Boyhood came uh -huh. out like three years later. Yeah. And I saw her on the screen. I was like, holy crap, that was Lorelai. Like, <laughs> I, I like had math class with her. That's so bizarre. Oh, wow. So you weren't like good friends or anything like that? Um, it was kind of like, a J like she was like, um, you know, in a circle that like had a, a bit of a Venn diagram with the circle I was in, but like, can't say yeah. we like talked or interacted very much. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's funny because that kind of comes into play in Dazed and Confused. I have a note here about just how he nails the clicks and different clicks sort of overlapping in the Venn diagram style and just how that he just really nailed all that stuff. Um, man, that's awesome. I didn't know you're from Austin. Did you, uh, when did you come to Atlanta? Uh, I moved here, uh, 2015. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, uh, after I finished up school, I came here to work in public radio for a few years before coming here at iHeart or how stuff works as it was then. Yeah, man. Uh, Austin's one of my favorite cities. It's, uh, you know, I went for, to South by Southwest for many years in a row and then um, have also gone beyond that. And uh, it's just great, man. What a, what a great place. It was it fun growing up there. Yeah. Yeah. I miss it every day. It's, um, you know, you'll hear anybody from Austin kind of gripe about this, but it's changed uh -huh. so much and it's like really yeah. not the Austin I grew up with anymore, but like, that's fine. Yeah. I'm not going to be one of those people who like, right. <laughs> complains about Californians and, you know, tech bros coming and ruining their city. But, right. um, you know, it's just, it. it's just different. You know, it's, it, it used to be a very like, um, small, very like everybody mm -hmm. knows everybody kind of city, yeah. um, really tight knit community. And it's, it's definitely lost that sadly, mm -hmm. you know, there's not as many like mom and pop shops around. It's um, kind of like Athens. Um, yeah. You know, I went to school in Athens in the in the late '80s and early '90s, and I love going back. It's different, and it's just one of those things you got to reckon with. It's like time marches on. Yeah, it won't always stay the, the quaint little charming place that we knew and loved, but they're both still great places. I think. Indeed, yeah, I've always seen that comparison and, and that parallel with Athens. Uh, if mm -hmm. anybody's never been to Athens, you should go. But um, yeah, and I think it's interesting that we're talking about Linklater because you know he really captures so much of like what Austin was, you know, in like a little time capsule way, what, mm -hmm. that like Austin charm that once was that, you know, is now a thing of the past. So 
I think that's another reason I'm so drawn to it. You know, is it like, yeah. is the, is the last vestige of the, the home I once had. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I get it. Um, so link ladder came into my world and when I was in college in Athens and I worked at a, a sort of the cool indie video store there, uh, vision video. And that's when I you know, talked about this on the show a lot. That's when I really got into independent cinema and foreign films and, you know, all, all these things that I had never really been exposed to that much outside of mainstream, you know, kind of Hollywood movies. And I saw Slacker. Yep. Uh, I rented Slacker and it was, those were people I knew. It was, that yeah. was Athens, Georgia at the time. It was as much as it was Austin. It was a very similar vibe. I knew the weirds and the creatives and the cools and the musicians and the artists. And it just, that was a movie. I was like, man, this is, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm down with Richard, uh, Richard Linklater from now on. And I've been uh, a fan ever since. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's just so amazing how he like captures that spirit of the creative city, you know? Yeah. And I think you're right. It's like pretty universal in the sense that you can really apply like especially slacker to like really any place like that, you know, any, um, you know, Athens, Georgia, um, mm -hmm. you know, trying to think of other cities that are like that. Madison, uh, Lawrence, Kansas, yeah, Madison, you know, all these sure. cool classic college towns. Yep, exactly. So, um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll just always love that about it. And, um, you know, you, you, you still like have some places like that, but who knows how much longer they'll exist. So, right. <laughs> What is your, do you have a, I mean, is Days and Confused your favorite movie of his or do you have, uh, yeah. what are some of your others? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when we were thinking about like which Linklater movie to pick for this, I had a really hard time with it yeah. just because um, there's so many of his movies that really strike a very personal chord with me. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not alone in that. You know, so many people I talk to about Linklater, they're like, yeah, just like that one movie really like meant yeah. a lot. I think Boyhood was one I was on the fence about <sighs> just because. Loved it. Um, that really like felt like my life, you know, um, uh -huh. so much about, um, the little details, like everything from him having like the little Dragon Ball Z poster on his wall when he was a little kid to like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the scene where he's a teenager in the back of somebody's car, like, you know, going home at like three in the morning after like yeah. smoking weed and drinking beer when he's not supposed to, <laughs> like it, it all just like really, um, like looked familiar. Um, yeah, I love Boyhood. Uh, not only just the experimental nature of it, I think it's such a cool idea. Yeah, but um, he's a filmmaker. I think that is a lot about those little details when he's making these movies. He's he's done uh, you know big big movies like School of Rock and kind of these more mainstream films, and those are all really fun too. But when they're sort of the Linklater films, they're all about those small moments and those small yeah. details. I think that just really give it so much richness and depth. I think. Yeah, agreed. I think um, the other one slash ones that do that, uh, maybe the best or just really well, are his like before movies. Um, yeah. The, before Sunset, before Sunrise, I think before Midnight. Yeah. Um, like, you know. So great. For anybody who hasn't seen him, I mean, there's just two people walking around mm -hmm. having really quaint but like really meaningful conversation. And, um, you know, if you, I think you have to watch all of them a few times to really get the subtlety to the things they're talking about and yeah um you know the, the more it kind of sits with you i think the more you realize like wow this is like packed full of a lot of personality yeah you know i saw um i may have mentioned this on the show before but i saw before sunrise for the first time 
literally the the night before I left to go to Europe backpacking with my best friend for two and a half months. Mm. And it was like, wow, talk about a movie like aligning with my life. And right. I was, you know, it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm going to meet a Julie Delpy over there. It's going to be so great. I'm going to fall in love with this French girl. Yes. Of course, that didn't, didn't happen, but I, I'm just a sucker for those movies, man. I love those characters. I love what he's doing, following them throughout their life. I hope he, I, I'm, I, not sure about his plans. I really, really hope he keeps going like well into their old age. Uh, it's just such a rich palette to work from, I think. Yeah, agreed. I know he had um, mentioned in an interview with Ethan Hawke that like they were going to do up to like five movies or something like that with those characters. Okay. I don't know if that's actually going to happen. You have to. But... You can't stop now. <laughs> It'd be great. I mean, it's I, I love the way, and I, I know you kind of already said this, but I love the way it captures them at like, different very pivotal moments in their life you know the first ones like them at their you know the prime of their youth really naive really just like able to go for anything and fall in love you know the next one's them kind of like on the cusp of like Mm -hmm. middle age you know not sure where their lives are going having to reconcile with their youth and then the last one is just like now they're like officially middle-aged and like how do we stay in love how do we yeah continue to be excited by life and um, he, you know, he just nails it. So yeah, you're right. There's a lot more phases. I think he could still capture really well. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, what a great idea to get together with these two people. And I know that they make those movies very much as a triad and yep. they all get together, you know, Julie and Ethan and, and Richard Linklater and, and put together the story together and they're just so invested. And it's just, I, I love his I love his spirit of creativity. I think that so many filmmakers may lose that after they've made it or whatever. And it feels like even after all these years, he's still that Texas guy that just, that wants to tell people stories. Yep. Yeah. I think he nailed it. Um, Yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, he wants to like show people in their most authentic form and, yeah. you know, he, he produces everything he does with so much like integrity and realism. Yep. And he like has never lost that in any project he's ever done. You know, even on some of those bigger ones, you mentioned like the school of rocks and the bad news. Bears school of rock and, is awesome. Yeah. They're awesome <laughs> movies. And even in, you know, those bigger budget films, he like uh-huh. never lost that integrity. And I think, I think that's why he's my favorite director, you know, above all else. Um, I always thought that I would end up meeting him somehow. Um, He's just one of those guys where I was like, yeah, I'm going to meet Richard Linklater one day, like through (laughs) Movie Crush or Stuff You Should Know or something. Like, I need to make that happen because he seems so relatable that, like, that could happen. And that's probably just a fantasy of mine. Rick, if you're listening, come on Movie Crush. (laughs) He seems like, you know, like everyone's friend, you know? Yeah. He's very, it seems very approachable and down to earth. And and I think he is. I think he is still very much that guy and very rooted in in his roots. That sounds dumb, but. Yeah. And I mean, totally. I mean, he still lives in Austin. I think he has talked a lot over the years about how he like never wanted to be like a Hollywood dude. He never wanted to like move to Hollywood and um, be one of those guys. He was always like very against all that. And, uh, you know, he still lives just outside of Austin, I think. Um, I did have the opportunity to meet him once. Oh, wow. Um, I can, you know, briefly mention I went to the austin film awards one year that's a Mm -hmm. thing the austin film society which he founded uh puts on every year and i think it was the the one that came out right after boyhood or the the ceremony right after boyhood 
came out. Um, and so, yeah, he was there. He was doing meet and greets and stuff. And wow. I had the opportunity to walk up to him. And yeah, I think everything you assume about him is correct. You know, he's just like super down to earth. Yeah. You know, he, he talks to you like you're just like in a record store, like right. chatting, <laughs> chatting about something you pulled off the shelf. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. And, you know, it's weird that I met him there, you know, after I had like moved away from Austin, considering I was thinking right. about him, like he probably like dropped Lorelei off at my high school like every day. <laughs> yeah. And I like somehow never even realized it. Uh-huh. Um, I think he even like came and did a couple like presentations for our film class at high school. But um, yeah, I mean, he's super down to earth guy. You know, I, I like now that I'm like much more familiar with his films over the years, I'd mm-hmm. love to have that opportunity again. But you never know. He also seems kind of elusive. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true. Sometimes it's all about just sending that email, though, you know? True. Yep. Making that stab. Uh, All right, well, let's jump into Days to Confuse. This is is a movie, and I kind of just told this story to uh, Noel on a mini crush uh, about 45 minutes ago because someone asked on the Facebook page, and we used it as a segment, what was your favorite movie going experience? And mine was Days and Confused. I saw it. Uh, in 93 at the Georgia Theater in Athens, uh, which is a music venue mainly, but they had occasional movie screenings. And it was just a party, man. It was, uh, everyone was smoking weed. Everyone was drinking. Uh, I mean, it was a theater, so they sold beer and stuff. And I sat up in the balcony and I'll never forget it. It was just, it was one of those nights where it was just a party, rollicking laughter, the 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 music just I mean we'll we'll talk about the music like possibly the greatest soundtrack of all time, um and it was just one of those movies it 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 was set in the bicentennial which I was five years old and you know I remember that summer um I was only five so it wasn't like the most vivid memories but I remember it happening these kids were like my older sister and her friends and it was it was sort of just above my generation, but a generation that I still knew. And uh, it just, it's it's a movie I've seen 15 times and watching it last night was like the first time again. It ages so well and it's still so fucking great. Yep. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, When did, what was your first experience? Do you remember? Dazed and Confused. Yeah, I think, um, I think it was my junior year of high school some friends and I decided to sit around and watch it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's so weird. The movie takes place in 76 and we were like, fuck, this is like our high school. Like this is us right now. <laughs> it like is. This, you know, and it really felt that way. It really felt like yeah. we were living the same lives as these people, you know, 35 years earlier. So it's, it's cool. I mean, that is one of the things about it. It's, it's, um, and I had the same experience watching the movie Crooklyn from Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. When I was like, these kids, this black family in Brooklyn in the 1970s, was like, that was my family, this white family in suburban Atlanta in the 70s. Yeah. It was like, it was the same stuff. There's sort of this universe, uh, universality aspect, I think, to certain ages. And uh, it doesn't surprise me that, I mean, it was my high school experience to a large degree too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people say like there are things in that movie that don't really feel like they resonate with um you know like the the fact that like most people seem to like really get along even though there were like kind of these sub clips uh sub excuse me sub clicks um yeah and that like you know the the 
the way that like people drink and smoke, you know, the way they got away with stuff back then is just like not something you would like see anytime right. in the last like 20, 30 years. Um, oh, but boy, it was, that was the case back then that we were feral and yeah. parents didn't know where you were half the time and right. drinking age was 18 back then. Yeah. So like a high school junior could probably buy beer and get away with it even without a fake ID yeah. as Wiley Wiggins does as a, as a freshman. But, um, yeah, man, it, 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 just starting with that opening music cue when that, when sweet emotion starts with the black screen and the credits are rolling and then it clicks in with that orange muscle car creeping through the parking lot. It just, it's such a tone setter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the vibe and it's, um, you know, it definitely takes you right to the seventies, even though, you know, I think Linklater didn't necessarily intend for it to be like necessarily an homage to the seventies. I think he's always kind of said like seventies kind of sucked and I wanted to like uh-huh. be, be real about that, but there's still something about that like opening scene and so much of the rest of the movie where you're like, I don't know, man, you're making the seventies seem pretty cool. <laughs> well, he does address that a couple of times in the movie, you know, there's, and this is another point I wanted to touch on is that in, in link ladder movies, when they're sort of link laddery and not the school of rocks, there are all, there are these moments where it is clear that it's Richard Linklater talking and musing. I call him Richard Linklater musings. Ke- Kevin Smith does the same thing, I think, way, way, way too much and in a very sort of forced way. But I think Richard Linklater sprinkles these throughout his movies, the opening of Slacker, when it is Richard Linklater in the back of the taxi. I mean, all of Slacker actually is Richard Linklater musings. But in this movie, they they have, you know, the scene at the end where where Randall is talking about high school and like if these are the best years of my life you know remind me to kill myself or marissa rabisi talking about the every other generation theory how you know maybe the 80s are going to be radical and it's clear these are richard linklater's thoughts and i just think he works them into his movie so well and very deftly and it's not like uh it's not kind of rammed down your throat yeah yeah i think um it's it's so obvious when it's linklater talking to you yeah and, you know through these characters and yeah i think you summed it up perfectly but um you know I, i've always kind of assumed that Linklater has just been like journaling all the time throughout his entire life and you know when yeah, he's writing so. scripts he's just like pulling straight from those journals you know when he's going on greyhound bus trips across the country to montana you know he's he's making his life into movies and um yeah you know i think especially the early ones like slacker and days it's so obvious yeah, and I think smart smart enough to take the best parts or the most cinematic parts of his life and then make up the rest. Um, yeah. Because, you know, there's a lot of talk about Days being autobiographical. And he's like, you know, some of the stuff was. they We were paddled and hazed and there was this and there was that. But I think he was like, no one wants to see a movie about Richard Linklater's life. Yeah. Um, so he just sort of sprinkles it, which is a good good move, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's always amazed me how he can like take the mundane and make it so like fucking interesting and fun somehow yeah. you know and yeah you're right he's got that talent of just making anything seem like cool and interesting um like one of the best writers ever i mean mo- most of his movies are especially those before movies they're just these long conversations slack slacker is a long conversation between you know whatever three dozen people yeah <laughs> This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. 
Tennessee just sounds perfect, whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. The cast of this movie, it really hit me last night more than ever that outside of maybe Matthew McConaughey and maybe Joey Lauren Adams and Parker Posey, Joey Lauren Adams didn't have some huge career, but she had a quote, probably better role in Chasing Amy. But almost every other actor in this movie, this is their best role probably of their career, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, And they're the most unlikely characters to emerge out of, you know, this movie to become famous. You know, mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey, who would have thought? Um, and I guess Ben Affleck, of course, went on to ben do big, Affleck, big things. Yeah. He's so great as O'Banion. <laughs> it's like everyone knew that guy. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that part in the movie when Wiley Wiggins gets confirmation from uh, Randall that he's, you know, he's like, yeah, he's kind of a joke to us too. Like, right. that was such a big moment, you know, when these kids, and I love their relationship, like him and Wiley Wiggins and then Wiley Wiggins' sister and the other girl, how you know, you take these kids under your wing. Um, and it seemed almost as, uh, ritualized as the hazing. Like Mm -hmm. we do the hazing and then the cool kids find one other kid that's younger and kind of teach them the ropes. Yeah. Yeah. There's that one scene where pink, the, you know, the main character, Mm -hmm. he's giving Wiley Wiggins or Mitch uh, a ride home or something. Yeah. And he even like, tells that allegory of how he when you know when he was a freshman he got Hayes super bad but there was this really cool senior who took him out right. for beers afterwards <laughs> and then right after that he's like hey man you want to come out with us later you right. know he's like literally passing that torch um yeah i mean i didn't have that experience <laughs> but um you know i love that idea you know in a sense that like i do too we're, you know we're gonna put you through hell but at the end of the day we're gonna like build you up at the same time so well that's what the the cool ones do and then there's the ben affleck character who is also a stereotype of a real person right who is just an asshole and angry and uh 
you know, now that I'm a grown up, I, I see that character and I'm like, well, what happened to him when he was a kid? Like, why is he like that? Yeah. Yeah. I try to have a little empathy, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Those, those asshole characters, I think were more frequent, uh, to my memory, but you know, um, I feel bad for Ben Affleck. Um, I, I think he like was constantly getting typecast as like yeah. assholes in his early days and he like yeah, had all rats yeah exactly he had to like um write his own movie goodwill hunting to get out of that stereotype so yeah well, i wouldn't feel too sorry for ben affleck but yeah <laughs> fair yeah he's fine um but i mean you know wiley wiggins definitely the biggest or best role for him jason london's best role yeah uh i guess anthony um rap ended up being in rent yeah so that was his best role but Big rory cochran um marissa Rabisi, cole hauser uh, all, all of uh, most of those female characters, uh, Christine Harnos, Michelle Burke, and Dina Martin, is the sort of trio of girls. They, you know, that was the biggest stuff they were ever in. That was kind of like we're really good in the, this movie, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, they they were all really good, but I think when you have a cast this wide, and you know, only a few people really get to stand out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it, it's kind of a bit of a shark tank i think is in terms of like who emerges who emerges out of it yeah i mean renee zellweger was an extra for god's sake you see her for a a blip (laughs) uh the other character too um that played uh dawson sasha jensen um he i I used to work in film production and when i was in la i was working a job i was in the production office as a pa and he walks in and i was like wait a minute what are you huh. doing here? And he was like, I'm the art department coordinator for this TV commercial. I was like, but you were, and he was, and he did the, and yeah, he did the, nice. you know, the, the tongue out. I was like, dude, what are you doing? And he was like, you know, he's like, it's uh, acting stuff. It's hard to get work. And I really like the business. And so I do this too. I was like, wow, that's crazy, man. Yeah. I bet you recognize those eyebrows immediately. Intense. Oh yeah. I mean, it was unmistakable. <laughs> and you know, I worked this like two week job with uh, job with him. Super nice guy. And he did act in, you know, a bunch of kind of lower profile stuff. And I'm not sure what he's doing now, but, uh, you know, I hope he made his way in film production. Uh, it's just interesting. You know, you, you're in a movie, this is cultural touchstone and one of the bigger, most memorable characters. And, uh, you end up as an art department coordinator, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's interesting. No shame in that. No, no, not at all. I mean, he was one of my, I think my favorite characters for, a number of reasons i think he was just like very very like charismatic it's also a bit of a uh a misogynist character and i didn't like that that aspect of it on rewatch but you know it's a time capsule it is a time capsule there's you know there's plenty time. of butt slapping and, yeah. and stuff like that but i mean that's that's how it was in high school in 1976 yeah so i mean despite that he was a, a very interesting character and yeah I, I don't know why a lot of those people didn't um you know, keep going up and up and up in that particular field. I mean, you know, I know Wiley Wiggins, you know, he was in one other Linklater movie, Waking Life. Yeah. And other than that, like he went on to like program video games, I think. Um, Yeah, I think fairly successfully. Uh, I met him at a bar in LA one night and he was with some people that knew the people I was with. So I kind of was loosely hanging out with him one night, Mm. just kind of fun. I did want to mention though, you just talked about, uh, Sasha Jensen's character being a misogynist and he certainly was but watching last night I noticed that like in the scene where he uh, where they were hazing the girls and he told the one girl like open your mouth and it was really just awful like his friends call him out 
Yeah. And granted, they call them out in the way you would in high school in 1976. They weren't like, that was wrong. But I, I like seeing that Linklater threw that in there, at least. Like, Rory yeah. Cochran was like, dude, that's terrible. Like, it's so degrading. Right. And the girl said, you're such an asshole. Like, they didn't say, the, hey, that's really funny, you know? Yeah, no, totally. Um, I feel like that's real, too, you know? If anybody, yeah. like, pulled that shit when I was in high school, you know, it's like, somebody would be like, yo, come on, man. Totally. Like, yeah. We don't do that. <laughs> And you know the at poor the, girl the was just like so naive looking, and it's just like, uh, I'll do whatever you want, I guess. Yeah, you know, not understanding <laughs> the implication there. So, well, so many of those kids in the movie had just with like one line or whatever, and you know they they just never did, they never even acted in anything else, and and you could tell some of them were not actors, including some of the adults, like the old man after the football, uh, talking about football next season. Yeah. Um, the guy, uh, I think the liquor store guy, there were a few people in there that it was like, man, these are, these are Austin dudes. They gotta be. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I think that's the reason I love the movie so much. And I love, yeah. uh, Linklater is, you know, he, <laughs> he was only what, like two years off of Slacker. So uh -huh. he still had yeah. that whole like, yeah, let's just get Austin people in here. Like, yeah, this is just an Austin movie still. Um, you know, who cares if we have a slightly bigger budget and we have, you know, LA producers, like this is an Austin movie and we're going to have Austin people in Austin places. It made it so authentic. Like yeah. that fucking head football coach. I didn't even look him up, but I mean, that guy had to be real. Yeah. There's no way that that was just some actor doing that perfect, perfect accent. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That was just <laughs> some, some actual football coach he picked up off the side of the road. Like, was hey, it really like you want to be in my movie? Oh, I don't know. I'm just. It, I bet it was. It seemed man. that way. I mean, I, I feel like I had that coach. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, one thing that occurred to me last night that I never really considered is there were no seniors in this movie. Um, I kind of always thought the the main olds were high school seniors. They were juniors, rising, rising seniors. Yeah. There, there's nothing. There's no seniors in this movie who who had just graduated that day. He just left them out of the movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess there's O'Banion, who's technically like a, a failed senior. He was like right. going to be a senior again, right? I mean, yeah, that's, that's probably some, true. Some levity there. But, you know, I think that's a, I think that's intentional on Linklater's part. I feel like he always likes to show people in moments of transition, you know, yeah. like, um, you know, I don't think he ever likes to represent groups or people who are like stuck in any sort of power dynamic it's always like you know we're changing we're moving we're going through some period of of alter you know alteration mm -hmm. um and that's what makes these experiences interesting because you'll always remember those moments where you felt something different or you felt yourself change in some way right yeah i, I mean i think those are the moments that are the most cinematic or when you're in or, or most dramatic at the very least where you're in these periods of flux and there is uncertainty. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, this, this whole movie is about that. I think Randall kind of addresses it most directly, but they're all feeling it. Uh, and I remember that feeling, even though I knew like, yeah, I'm going to college, I'm going to Athens. That uncertainty is exciting and scary as shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and again, you mentioned Randall, AKA pink. Um, yeah, you're right. He captures that philosophy so well by just constantly being on the fence about what he wants to do with his future. And mm -hmm. I, I love the fact that they leave it so ambiguous. You know, he's going through this 
thing throughout the movie of like, am I going to play football next year? What am I going to do with my life? Yeah. And, you know, at the end, he's just kind of like, I'm going to do whatever I want and I'll decide whenever I want to. And it's like yeah. completely up to me on my my terms, my schedule. Um, you know, I, I feel like that so much just encaps- encapsulates that, uh, you know, that that coming through that era of flux in, with a triumph, right? Like, yeah, it, does, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah, and he, he manages to do it without ramming it down your throat as a filmmaker, I think. Yeah. Uh, there's just this sort of easygoing authenticity i think through all the link lottery movies um that you feel like you're you're watching these people that you know um i mean generations of people love this movie um you know my sister's in her like uh mid 50s and people in their 60s relate and then you're you know how old are you 28 yeah you people younger than you probably relate to this movie it's really kind of a bit of a miracle like dazed and confused this movie set in 76 is kind of like a touchstone for so many yeah that universal appeal but you know i mean again i think he does that with all his movies in so many ways you know we were talking about boyhood earlier like yeah you know i remember i saw that with my dad i walked out i was like dad that was my life he was like that was my life too you know wow so that's cool I, i get so annoyed when people don't like boyhood more than other movies like Boyhood is one of those I just thought was so real and authentic and uh, and experimental. And I've, I've had some people I know and respect that were like, "What well, can nothing happen in the movie? It's just so long. And I was just like, oh, it just breaks my heart <laughs> to hear yeah. people think of that movie that way. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's all, all kinds of personal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I know your pain. I mean, to me, like, uh, Linklater's a lot like David Lynch in the sense that, like, if you go into it, looking for like plot or like you know a traditional narrative arc you're you know you're not going to get much out of it you're not you're going to be disappointed but if you go into something you know looking looking to like experience something very real and relate to something or or or, you know notice little details about life that you know maybe don't ever get touched on anywhere else then i I think you're in for a treat yeah open your heart yeah exactly to richard linkletter (laughs) Uh, Parker Posey is one of my favorite actors I, I've tried to get her on the show before I'm going to try again but um, th- this may be like peak Parker Posey <laughs> Yes, <laughs> even though it's not a very big role she just like made such an imprint yeah. in this movie as the, the asshole yes. uh, the asshole rising senior girl yeah I oh god she's she's brutal um, but you I still like her somehow yeah you do um, I saw um uh, I don't know if you ever like read letterboxd reviews, but uh-huh. um, half of them mentioned Parker Posey and they're just like, man, P- Parker Posey's like the like girlfriend that I always wanted who would just like be that uh-huh. outgoing and dominant. <laughs> right. <laughs> All this like weird stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. She made such an impression and yeah. th- that's probably why she was one of the few to really go on and be successful afterwards. Yeah. Um, she was so funny. Emily and I, one of our, my wife, uh, one of the things we say in our house probably six or eight times a year is wipe that face off your head. Yes. Oh, <laughs> like God. one of us, will, one of us will be making kind of a gnarled up face about something and she'll go, Hey, wipe that face off your head. <laughs> I remember reading about that line, um, how she, somebody like said it to her in real life 
Oh, and, really? And she was like, that is like the weirdest thing I've ever heard anyone say. <laughs> and I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it in the next thing that I do. Oh, and that's so great. she like brought it by a link later. She was like, I have this weird thing that's been like, you know, circling around my head for a while. Can I like please uh-huh. say it in this movie? And he just like was like, yes, that's genius. Say it. So. Oh, boy. It was such a fun, uh, fun line. Oh, I had Pick- uh, Pickford's dad was another one of those guys that seemed totally real yep. and like a non-actor. Yeah. And, like, you know, were you were you going to have a party? Just that formal mm-hmm. sort of Southern way of talking. Yep. <laughs> like, unpack your bags, honey. We're staying home. Right. <laughs> yeah. Apparently that guy, uh, Sean Andrews, was a real asshole. I was reading some sort yeah. of behind the scenes stuff and he and, and Jason London uh, didn't get along they well. They hated each other, yeah. Yeah, and Linklater talked about it. He was like, it's kind of one of those things. He said Sean was going through his own thing and was very aloof. And he said, this is not the movie to be aloof on. Yeah. Like part of the, he said it was a hard movie to make. And he said part of the success of it was due to the summer camp thing with all this cast being together, real life partying, apparently in that, yep. uh, the last scene when they're driving, get the Aerosmith tickets, Joey, Lauren Adams were like, we were really stoned. And he was like, you were? And he's like, you guys weren't supposed to be doing that. And she was like, we didn't do it much, but she said we were all totally high in that last shot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a weird thing if you think about it, like the link later and the producers like took this cast of like, you know, teens and 20 somethings, put them up in the same hotel for two months (laughs) and like gave them like free reign to do whatever the fuck they wanted when they weren't shooting. I mean, it sounds like a disaster, but I mean, you're right. I think that was so integral to the, the, the authenticity of the film, right? Like let, let's yeah. get some actual communal vibes going that they can like channel on totally. you know, on the screen. So um, I think it was really unfortunate to hear that Sean Andrews, who's like, yeah. he and Mila Jovovich were supposed to be like pretty pivotal characters in the movie got uh-huh. cut out of most of it yeah. because like behind the scenes, like you were saying, like the two of them were just so like not interested, you know, they like didn't participate Sucks. in the, yeah. the summer camp thing you were talking about. Uh, they kind of like broke off and like isolated themselves, and as a result, like the you know the rest of the cast kind of hated them and didn't want anything to do yeah. with them. And well, he said he had to tell them at some point. He had to t- pull he and uh, London aside and was like, "Listen, guys, you don't like each other, but you gotta we gotta get this done. Yeah, so like you know, get it together. You guys gotta be <laughs> friends on screen. Uh, and they got married. They like eloped. Oh, Joe, I'm sure you knew that. And uh, yeah, John Andrews. Yeah. I think they got annulled like two months later. Like, what the fuck did we do? But um, that's really interesting. A little bit of behind the scenes drama there. D- yeah. Did you hear about the um, the other behind the scenes drama where um, Sean Andrews and Mila Jovovich like lock themselves in a trailer because they wanted Linklater to like re- rewrite some lines for them? What? They like refused to come to set? Yeah. Yeah. So um, they got, oh, I guess, real cocky, real, real egotistic um, about their role in the movie. And they were like, we want more scenes and we want to write it our way. And, you know, this is like, I think near the end of production and Linklater's like, no, I mean, come on. Like, like we just got to finish them. this. <laughs> yeah, we can't fire you, but like, just like, please play ball with us. And they were like, no. So they like threw like a little fit and they locked themselves in a trailer and they Ugh. said they weren't going to participate in any more scenes until they like got what they wanted. And so that, I think that's ultimately why they got cut from like so much of the wow. movie is like Linklater was like, well, no, fuck you guys. Like, I'm yeah. not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Good. I mean, she was almost entirely cut. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess he had a couple of 
pivotal scenes in the car with a bowling ball, which is great. Yeah. Uh, and then the, you know, the party stuff when they were up in the, um, the, the beer keg delivery yep. mishap, which was pretty funny too. Uh, I mean, he was pretty good in it. That's it's a shame. He was, he was not playing ball because, uh, I thought the character was pretty good actually. Yeah. He was funny. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just sad. I think that's just ultimately the kind of actor he was, you know, just thought yeah. too, too much of himself and, you know, cost him his career. It sounds like he wasn't in a lot uh, after that. Um, let's talk about Wooderson. Oh my God. <laughs> what else is there to talk about? You could spend a whole episode of the show talking about Matthew McConaughey as Wooderson. I mean, it's one of the the genius characters of all time and, uh, yeah. you know, sort of the legend around it. It's like how many movies, especially a movie this small that, you know, didn't make a lot of money. It's become a cult hit, but um, how many movies like this went on to spawn something that's like remained part of the lexicon and the cultural zeitgeist with the all right, all right, all right thing? I mean, that alone is like, that doesn't happen much. I know. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of any more or any other movie that has more like gifs or memes that I can pull mm-hmm. up on my phone and send to people. Right. <laughs> You know, that are almost all entirely Matthew McConaughey based. There's All Right, All Right, All Right. Yeah. There's uh, Be a Lot Cooler If You Did comes from <laughs> God, that. Man, we say that all the time. That is <laughs> yeah. such a great line. Uh, Be a whole lot cooler if you did. <laughs> uh, I thought he was a real guy, man. I, I think I've told this story before, but when that movie came out, I, did, I thought he was one of those, and he was a real Texas guy, but I thought he was a non-actor that he just put in the movie and that he really was sort of one of these old, yeah. sort of losery guys I was, and my sister a couple of years later said oh yeah this guy Matthew McConaughey he was the guy Wooderson and I said no 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 I said that can't be I said that was just some guy some dude yeah. and she said no 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 <laughs> it, it, he was, it was an actor and my sister's not even like some big movie buff and she kind of schooled me on that and I, I was just my mind was blown man he was so real and especially when you live in the south like there was that I mean there are these guys everywhere but there was always that guy that was, mm-hmm. you know, 22 and still hanging around. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it was so authentic and great. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, every, every like high school clique has that guy, you know, who just like never really found his way after high school and just kind mm-hmm. of wanted to like stay eternally a high school senior. Um, and, you know, it's it's always been really interesting to me how Matthew McConaughey um, simultaneously captures like that creep status, but he's mm-hmm. also like super likable somehow. Like they made him yeah. really like, you still want to hang out with him, even though he's like so weird and creepy and talks about, uh, you know, teenage girls in very yeah. um, inappropriate ways. Um, yeah. You're still like, but he's somehow lovable and it's only Matthew McConaughey could pull that off. I think anybody else, it would have been super gross. Yeah, and you know, he was creepy and gross and not to excuse anything, but like in 1976 it wasn't the most uncommon thing for like a 16-year-old to date a 21-year-old. Sure. Um, you know, that kind of stuff happened back then and of course 10 years later it's no big deal to be 5 or 6 years apart from somebody. But it's that high school non-high school boundary. Yeah. That's just it adds that creep element. You know, like uh the older boyfriend like going to prom or something like that. He's yeah. been out of school for 4 or 5 years. It's just no getting around that that's very uncomfortable, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, you know, again, somehow, even by the end of the movie, you know, Wooderson still becomes this, like, 
leader amongst the troop of them, right? Yeah, that football scene, a uh, football field scene at the end is, I mean, it was kind of the perfect uh, way for that movie to, to, to end. Uh, that that's where you get that great scene of uh, Jason London sort of just looking off in the distance, talking about the future, and Matthew McConaughey, who apparently his father died in real life, kind of in the early days of making this movie, and that whole just keep living thing was L-I-V-I-N. he worked that all out. Yeah, man, L I V I N. I mean, that's the name of his production company, J.K. Living yep. uh, Productions. And, uh, you know, it's they tread in some deeper waters throughout this movie here and there, but not so much that it gets bogged down. Yeah, it's it's very light touch. And I, I, I always appreciate that. You know, um, I think when you're like that young and you really are just kind of like, you know, partying, experimenting with romance um, yeah. that's about the extent to which you think of stuff, right? You know, it's like, yeah. th- there's always like this philosophical backdrop, but at the front of everything, you're just like trying to find yourself, you know, and, um, you know, taking it one step at a time. And, um, I think, I think it just has to be that jovial for it to work in the, with this, with this cast and this age group and that time mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And it was a time like not to be old man, but it, it was a bit more of an innocent time. I don't know how things are now, you know, as a parent myself, you have all these fears that there's just so much more overt sexuality at younger Mm -hmm. and younger ages. And I don't know if that's just a fear, if that's the reality, I'll find out soon enough. But, you know, back then when you were 14, like at least me too, I was a, I was a religious kid and a late bloomer. Like I wanted to kiss a girl and, you know, like making out with a girl was the biggest thing like the highest achievement romantically I could think about. And it did not go beyond anything beyond that scared the hell out of me, to be honest until I was much older. But, um, and you know, there were kids around me of course that were kind of like monkeying around with other stuff, but it was just a more innocent time where like you, you hook up at a party and you like kiss somebody. And that was like the best night ever. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley. I almost famous podcast. Tennessee just sounds perfect, whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually 
in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Yeah, it makes me uh, like remember a scene in the movie that I totally forgot about, but it's like really funny. It's really funny rewatching it. And uh, they go to the middle school dance and there's that little back room where all the like yeah. <laughs> eighth graders are all just like making out. <laughs> totally. And it's like, oh my God. Like, like it makes you realize like when I like first made out with someone or like, you know, whatever else, like was it that like, I don't want to call it like pathetic, but like, I don't know. Yeah. It just, it feels it, so it was. Like, <laughs> pathetic, you know? And um, it makes that you realize scene, that, oh. Oh my God. It, I felt so bad for that girl because they, you know, she's making out with Hirschfeld and his friends basically rip him out of there. He's like, we got to yep. go. We got to go. And he, he gets, gets up. <laughs> he gets paddled, but she's just sort of sitting there like now she's all alone in the makeout room and feeling just so awkward and uncomfortable. And I'm just like, I just want to go give her a hug and be like, it's okay. Like, you know, get out of the makeout room, go back to the dance. <laughs> yep. And it feels so intense when you're that age too, right? Like, oh this, yeah, man. Like you were saying, like that's just like the pinnacle of like yeah. your your romance goals <laughs> at that age, and you like got it, and it means the world when it's happening. Yeah. Oh, so it's so devastating when things like that happened. But that's that link letter touch, man. That it's so. There's so many little details, like just that shot of that girl for two seconds. Yeah. Or when the, I think he writes female characters really, really well. Um more so than like most male writer directors mm-hmm. uh you know the other little moments like when um they're all getting ready to go out that night and the girl's laying down on the bed and her friend has to use the pliers to zip her pants up because they're so tight <laughs> yes. like there's a generation yeah. of women from the 70s and 60s i think that were like oh my god how did he know that he must yeah. have sisters because we totally had to do that yeah. to help each other in our pants yeah, he had two older sisters. I know Linklater did. Oh, um, uh, okay. Well, there you go. That that helps, I'm sure. <laughs> I think one of his sisters works with him on his movies too. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, such a nice detail. There's another one. I don't know if you remember seeing this, but when Mitch goes to get a uh, beer at the liquor store, uh-huh. right before he checks out, there's this lady uh, who checks out who's like pregnant or and uh-huh. like she's like smoking and getting smoking. alcohol, <laughs> and he's like, "Hope that baby comes out. You know, it's good for you." Yeah, and, he, and he's Have like, you know, remember to take your vitamins yeah. or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, totally pass you by if you're not paying attention, but it's just, like, such a funny, like, I think, like, uh, you know, I don't want to call it homage, but, like, funny imagery of the 70s and when yeah. you're smoking and drinking when you're pregnant, like, of course. Uh, yeah, man. It's, I mean, it's crazy to think about people doing that now, but it, it used to happen. It's nuts. Um, I want to talk for a sec about the little... Uh, the triad of Adam Goldberg, uh, Anthony Rapp, and Marissa Rabisi. My favorite. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got this. I think I think more people like us identified with those three than yeah. than the others. Yeah. Um, like I was in the, I kind of spanned uh, cliques in my school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really popular because I I liked everyone and was well liked by everyone. So I hung out with the cool kids, but I hung out with this sort of these three that were sort of like what I would just call sort of 
not unpopular, but kind of the, the sort of smart crowd. Sure. Yeah. But not super, super, super nerdy. Yeah. But I was also friends with the super nerds uh, just because I, I don't know. I always just wanted to be nice to people and to be liked by people. Right. So that was my goal um, or not my goal, but just my nature. Uh, but those three, man, they're, I think, my favorite in the movie, too. Is there is there one in particular you identify with the most? I'm curious. I don't really even identify so much. It's more just, well, probably Anthony Rapp a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a little bit shy and thinks he should maybe be playing a certain part, but is not comfortable playing that part. Uh, definitely not Adam Goldberg because he was, you know, kind of neurotic guy. Uh, he's so good in it too. <laughs> yeah, if if I was to pick one, I, I'd probably say Adam Goldberg just because when he's having oh, yeah. his uh, little... You know, existential crisis yeah his existential crises <laughs> you know calls himself a misanthrope and he's talking right. about how he like just can't stand people like uh-huh. i wouldn't say i'm like that extreme but like i feel that sometimes you know i really yeah. like, know what he's going through in that moment and i've been there so well i mean then what do you how did it make you feel later when he gets in the fight with clint and uh i mean nikki cat is so good in this like we all knew that guy too that was yeah. just so overly aggressive and wanted to get into a fight everywhere they went and it's such a especially for guys like us like those guys just scared the hell out of me i didn't want to be anywhere near them not for fear of getting beat up just that that energy was so bad for me toxic yeah yeah i mean those guys who are just like unnecessarily aggro all the time um i agree i i avoided them like the plague and um yeah i mean god that scene that fight really like tough Um, yeah it's it's hard to watch and like it um i don't know like something clicked in me when i saw that where i was like man that's like that was like my worst fear was that happening like i feel like i had nightmares as a teenager of like bumping into some dude like that the wrong way in the hallway right like him exploding and i would do the exact same thing adam goldberg did where i'd be like I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what's going right. on here? Like, I'm sorry, I guess. Like, right. can, can but you then obsess off? about it afterwards? Yeah, totally. And you like, you're done afterwards and you're like in your head, like, oh, I should have said this or I should have done that. Or maybe yeah. I'm going to like get back at him somehow. And um, I don't know, like it made me feel really like pathetic watching Adam Goldberg be pathetic. Oh man. And insecure. You're, you're a you sweet know. guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean though. It's, uh, I mean, I was always using personality and humor to avoid any confrontation like that. Mm. So I was never threatened by bullies, uh, but I saw it happen and it always just, it always just made me really uncomfortable. And uh, I guess scared is the right word. I remember being scared a few times, like in elementary school at, at that kind of male aggression. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I really hope it's gotten better. I, I feel like it hopefully has um, for like high schoolers and young people now, but um, yeah, it was, it was it was really hard to like ever yeah. feel comfortable in high school for that reason. I think I think like more than anything, more than like stress of classes, more than like uh, romance or dating or you know feeling like you're gonna fit into any clique. Um, the like threat of machismo dudes, I think, was yeah. like the number one aggressor to my life back then. You know. Yeah, and almost universally, you know, you're you're still pretty young, but you see how it works. Like almost universally, those guys, that's their peak in high school. You know, totally. Uh, And you know, and and what happened to Clint? 
you, you know, his dad probably beat the shit out of him, you yeah. know? Alcoholic. Yeah, cetera, probably so. And it's that that cycle of uh, of abuse that's just so real. Um, but, you know, now people like you are like super talented musicians and podcast producers and cool and artistic. And those guys are, are selling Hyundais. <laughs> yeah, you, it does make you wonder, you know, and I think that's one of the things you leave dazed, you know, always like thinking about is like what happens to these people later you know everybody from clint yeah. to adam goldberg you're just like yeah who, who do these people become you know i really i've always really oh, wanted to know totally because it's nice to think that like you know this person becomes this successful person and that asshole like ends up just becoming a you know living in a trailer park whatever but right who knows you know it's just like it might not turn out that way it's just just i don't know man i mean it, there are outliers, but I'm a firm believer in the good people usually come out on top in some way. It, it may not be necessarily riches and fortune or, or anything like that, but I just think that, that leading a good life and being kind to people just leads to more goodness eventually. And, and the opposite, the people like Clint and O'Banion, mm-hmm. that, that never leads anywhere good. They're never going to find great successes in life by being assholes. Yeah. But sometimes that happens. You see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely not a black and white thing, but yeah, I, I think I, I too hold that that hope and that belief. Um yeah, and for for the good of these very lovely, beautiful characters in this movie, I, I hope that dynamic works for them. Yeah, they were so fun to watch, the three of them, and I thought it was so great. Um I read this morning that apparently Linklater went to uh Marissa Rubisi and was like, Who who we gotta get you a guy? And like you think about who who that might be, and I'll think about it too, and we'll come back tomorrow and talk. And he came back, and he was like Wooderson, Ooh. and she said, "That's perfect." She's like the the one guy that it shouldn't be. Yep. And there was something about it when I don't know, man. There was something kind of sweet about it. Like mm-hmm. she was charmed by his Woodersonness. Yep. And I think you know, I, I could see them being good for each other, and her making him a bit of a better guy. Yeah. Instead of the other way around. Like, I want to think good things about those two. That's a really good point. I never thought of that. Um, yeah, I think I was so caught up with the the creepiness of him dating or going after a, you know, a high school girl that I hadn't really ever considered the actual chemistry there. But, you know, I think you're right. I, you know, she is like of the whole cast of, you know, female characters, like probably the, the most mature and able yeah. to like handle his bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Um, not that like that what should be her responsibility, <laughs> but what happens at that Aerosmith concert? Like that's mm-hmm. the sequel. Yeah, you know, it's two weeks later they're going on this date. Uh, that that's pretty great. Um, the thing about that fight, though, I wanted to kind of put a button on is that yeah. is such a great moment in the movie um, because you know the it, it takes place over a big long day and night, which is one of my favorite kinds of movies. I love it when movies do that, and he does that a few times a lot, in his yeah. movies. Or, you know, 20 fucking time. years. Yeah. Or, or that, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but he, you know, this fight happens. It's a big moment for Adam Goldberg's character and that he did stand up for himself, but he got his ass kicked. And when he was kind of crying afterward, it was so, like, so upsetting. But it, it led to that great crane shot at the Moon Tower party and Tuesday's Gone kicks in by Skinner and the mm. beer kegs run dry. And it's just like, it's just perfect filmmaking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think like we were saying earlier, 
you know, Linklater, you know, really values the mundane, but at the same time, he has such like a cinematic eye, you know, like he knows how to really fucking hit you where it hurts in the heart just by like, you know, using certain shots and imagery and, um, you know, things like that. And and you're right, like that, um, that little ending there, it's kind of like a little montage of like, you know, going home at the end of the night and everything's over and, you know, what could have possibly been the best night of your life Mm -hmm. is now in the rear view mirror. And that's, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. I like, yeah, like that hit me hard last night when I was rewatching it. I was like, man, like I, I had a couple of nights like that in my like high school, college years and I'll probably never have them again. You know, I know, man, it's, uh, it made me miss, um, and not because of COVID, just because being old, like, you know, going to those big, big fucking rager parties, like it just didn't happen anymore when you're my age. (laughs) And those were the days, man. It reminded me of those days in college when you're with your best friends and the sun's coming up and, uh, you know, you're going to feel like shit and pay for it. And, uh, but like you wouldn't change a thing about it. It's so evocative that, that sun peeking up and, and the way he shot it too. And, um, he must've shot those scenes in a, in a real morning because they all looked like it was morning and they all looked like they had been partying all night. I mean, the whole look of the film period was so real. Uh, unlike a lot of movies set in the seventies where it's so clearly dressed and decorated mm-hmm. and hairstyled. Like it just, it, it looked like he managed to plop a camera down in 1976 and kind of film these people. Yeah. Part of me wonders if that has to do with the fact that it was, you know, relatively speaking kind of a low budget, you know, like, yeah, it's like five or 6 million bucks, I think. Yeah. You know, so they weren't too concerned with like making everybody look, you know, glistening or anything, which is probably for the best. You know, I think it gave it a more rustic, you know, real lived in kind of look, which is good. Totally. Those cars. I mean, it ages really well as a result, I think. Um, those goddamn cars and that truck, man. Uh, what's his face is that black pickup truck. Yep. So sweet. I mean, if you're a Texas guy, you probably have an appreciation for like 60s pickup trucks. <laughs> yep. So in Austin every year they do, uh, I forget what it's called, but um, my, I remember my middle school was right on the main drag on, you know, South Congress Avenue in Austin, which is the oh, street yeah. that leads to the Capitol. Uh-huh. And every year they um, they do this like run of the cars thing where all these like old cars from the 50s, 60s and 70s, um, like f- over the course of two hours, just like nonstop driving through Congress all the way to the Capitol and around downtown. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's like a very like nostalgic thing to like see yeah. that. And I think it's a, it's a big part of the fabric of that city and the culture there too. You know, it's very Texas. It's very Austin. Totally. I, I love that they nailed that so well. Is, is there yeah. one car that you love the most that you wish you could have had? <laughs> well, I mean, I love Melba Toast. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote, I mean, I might as well, I, I copy pasted that part. Uh, let me tell you what Melba Toast is packing right here. <laughs> We got 411 positive track out back, <laughs> 750 double pumper, Edelbrock intake, board over 30, 11 to 1 pop up pistons, turbo jet 390 horsepower. We're talking some fucking muscle. That's so Texas. <laughs> oh, I love it. They ganked that shot over lunch one day. He said they had to do that a lot because the budget and they just were like sneaking things in wherever they could. And McConaughey said the camera, his uh, DP, uh, he, was, he was like, who knows about cars? And his DP was like, I do. And he went, write some shit down on this piece of paper <laughs> and then Nikki cat too like he was so perfect he's like you got to get some shoes on that thing man he was like white lightning he's had that white trans am yep, yep. 
and he's talking about his tires and uh, he called his ice skates or something. And mm-hmm. I mean, that is, that is Texas. That is Stone Mountain, Georgia. That is like yep. Detroit, Michigan. Sure. <laughs> it's like these muscle car dudes. Yeah. Yeah. And that lingo so is like, even if you don't know cars that well or know what uh-huh. the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> I had no just, idea. It somehow just like, it, it hits you somewhere. Cause you, you've known people who had those conversations around you. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> Huh? No, I grew up uh, with a guy that went to my church uh, in the youth group that had a, an old uh, 442 muscle car that was red with black racing stripes. Beautiful. And my, I talked to my brother the other day. He still has that car. And I was like, wow. he does? And he was like, oh, yeah, man. And he was like, "That's he's had that car for literally like 40 years now and works on it himself, that whole deal. And it's just like, it's a machine. I've never driven one of those. I've, one of my life goals is to like, is to drive like a really sweet 70s muscle car one day nice Hell <laughs> at yeah. least once i'll keep an eye out <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm not even a car guy but i love that shit yeah same i'm sure rick rick linklater knows where to get one um yeah I'm my, sure he does. <laughs> my dad uh used to have uh, my dad was an old austin hippie and he used to have um one of those you know old school 70s vw buses oh yeah yeah you see a couple of them in the movie um, oh cool and i remember he had it when i was a kid I think he junked it maybe like a couple of years ago, which sucks. Uh, but I think it was just completely like useless at, at that point, you know, maybe 10 years ago. Right. But man, what I would do to like uh-huh. see that and have it in my possession again. <laughs> totally, dude. Uh, well, man, I think we did it. I mean, you know, the soundtrack we talked a little bit about, the it's just an assault of great music. Um, I think my favorite kind of sequence in the movie is it's almost unfair how he assaults you with these songs all in a row. It's when he does uh, hurricane by Bob Dylan in the, the pool hall scene, that great slow motion shot of Wooderson. Mm -hmm. And then almost right afterward, it's followed by the bowling ball scene with, I just want to make love to you. And then right after that paranoid by Sabbath comes on. Uh, Yeah. And it's like, dude, it's not fair. Like, how can you stack this movie like that? Yeah, I think, God, like half of the movie's budget must have gone to just licensing all those, you know, those tracks. Holy it hell. was one sixth, actually. I looked at okay. a full sixth of the movie, which doesn't sound like much, but that's a lot of money to go toward music totally. licensing. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Linklater fought a, a pretty tough battle with, uh, was it Universal? Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, about like licensing that stuff because, you know, when they gave him money for the movie, you know, they were kind of just trying this guy out seeing what he could do weren't taking days and confused super seriously as one of their top pictures of the year or anything so when this like you know new director comes around like you know i need to license all these like super popular (laughs) like amazing tracks from the 70s they're like yeah we're not gonna do that but somehow he got got his way yeah you have to uh and it's one of the few movies one of my big pet peeves in movies is a music cue that's too on the nose yeah uh, and this is one of the few movies where he does it a couple of times, like when he plays school's out for summer, Yep, yep. like literally when school's out for summer and they're leaving the school, but it hits. I, I don't care, man. What else are you going to play there? Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember when, uh, I just want to make love to you. That line hits. I feel like it's gotta be in one of the makeout scenes. I can't remember, but, um, yeah, you're right. For whatever reason, it's just like, it works when it's on the news in this movie and it rarely does anywhere else. It's all over the place. I think Love Hurts is one of the sad yeah. songs during the, the makeout stuff. And uh, there was one other one, uh, I can't remember, that was super on the nose, but I don't know, man. It's just, it's magic. It all works. It's one of my favorite movies. I think uh, the only 
you know, track we probably got to talk about at least for a second is just the track that didn't make it, which was uh, Days and Confused, the Led Zeppelin track. Yeah. And, What's uh, the story? Um, so, you know, Led Zeppelin's pretty notorious for like not letting anybody license their tracks for film or anything else. Um, I think, you know, it's been virtually impossible for anybody to get their songs for anything. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think Linklater pushed pretty hard for this one. He was like, you know, it's the name of our movie. Like, we got to have this track. Yeah. It has to be the last thing they do when they're going to get Aerosmith tickets. And um, they almost got it. They got three out of the four members to agree to it. Uh, they got Jimmy Page to sign off on it, which was like pretty miraculous because he's usually like the toughest of all of them. Um, and then I forget exactly what the reason was, but at the last minute, uh, it was Jim, um, not Jimmy, it was, um, Robert Plant who was like, nah, like he like, he like turned it down and he like wouldn't let them have it. Um, so yeah, for whatever reason, I, I I feel like it was just like some, some scheduling conflict where Robert Plant just like was, was doing something else and didn't feel comfortable with signing off on it at that moment. But I think that was the deal. I read some about it too. And I think, um, I think the the members weren't super communicative at the time and this was a time where they just weren't talking much yeah. uh, and sort of doing their own thing. Richard Linklater wasn't some big name so they were, he was just kind of like why am I even sort of paying attention to this? Uh, but I think he did say Linklater said that later like 10 years later he met them and he might have used something for something else but it, he said it kind of came full circle in a really nice way. Yeah later in his life with those guys yeah i forget what the anecdote is but i remember reading that as well where i think he eventually got to license something from them for a later movie i think so um yeah exactly what maybe maybe like bernie or something but uh another good movie um yeah and it's funny like as much as you want to hear that song in that movie that end with uh slow ride like you can't like what else doesn't matter if it's the third time you've heard of this movie it still hits (laughs) Yeah, it was in it more than once, wasn't it? It was like two or three yeah, times. It was a couple times. Oh wow, that's funny. Which is Who something cares? you don't normally do. Yeah, yeah, it was good. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, dude, this was a lot of fun. Um, one of my favorite filmmakers, one of my favorite movies. Uh, I say we make just this part of a filmmaker series and go ahead and, you know, he has so many we can't do them all, but maybe we can pick out like four or five of our favorites, and uh, and do this every couple of months. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, you, down? you know, wait, Waking Life is another big one. I mean, he's got so many things, so anytime. Yeah, Suburbia. God, that's another one I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, Maybe we'll uh, talk about the spiritual sequel, Everybody Wants Some. Did you like that? I actually haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Well, um, all right. Put a pin in that then. Yeah, I think um, I've been on a quest recently to watch all the, the few that have slipped by me over the years, and that was yeah. one of them, along with uh, Last Flag Flying. I still haven't seen that one either, but... Yeah, there's a couple of those. I didn't see the one with uh, Kate Blanchett or the yeah. Last Flag. Uh, flag uh, geez, I can't even say it. Last Flag Flying. Um, I will just say this. I don't want it to taint anything. Everybody wants some I enjoyed. It is not this. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> Days and Confused this is sort of lives in its own space among sure. all movies. Yeah. Um, but it, it's good. It's fun. Cool, yeah. So I guess I'll have to rewatch it and or just watch it for the first time, and then we'll yeah. reconvene and totally see see what happens. All right, man. Well, this is a lot of fun, and uh, I think people will enjoy this and look forward to more Richard Linklater stuff in the future. Could not agree more. Well, thanks, Chuck. I really appreciate it. Thanks, bud. 
Movie Crash is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown, edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson, and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Ponce City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure, To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee. Sounds perfect. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.